We are continuing our series in the book of Luke. Luke is uh, the third book of the New Testament, one of the Gospels that tells the story of Jesus' life. Uh, and we're at this pretty crucial moment in Jesus' life. He's been headed for uh, many, many chapters here, at least since chapter 9. He's been headed to Jerusalem. He's been in Jerusalem now for a little while, and he is headed there to suffer, to die. And he references that uh, here as he talks about being uh, excited about this meal that he was going to share with them. He earnestly desired to share this meal before he suffered. He knew exactly where he was headed. He knew exactly what he uh, was going to do, uh, including the death that he was going to die. And yet before that, the night before that, actually, we have this account of what we call the Lord's Supper. And, uh, and it is Jesus eating with his 12 disciples. Arguably the, uh, maybe the most significant dinner ever. Uh, the most significant meal ever. And, and, and you can't help think about the importance of this meal as we gather each week and we celebrate the meal. We're going to in a moment. Uh, and this week, I, I couldn't help but think about the way that meals shape our own lives and, and thinking about what, what are some of the most memorable meals that I've experienced. And I asked, uh, even asked my son this yesterday, and he says, what do you mean the most memorable meal, the, the food or the company or, you know, what, what is it that, uh, what are the categories here? And, and we can think about uh, all kinds of things that affect our meal, whether it's the occasion, I think about my rehearsal dinner meal, and... Um, I, I don't remember anything that was served there, but I remember the people that were there. I remember the room. It's the only time I've been in that room. I, I remember those things because of the significance of the occasion. And there's some meals that I remember because of the food. I, I had a meal in Chattanooga a number of years ago. I don't even remember who Steph and I were eating with, but I remember the scallops. Uh, it was the food that, that had me remember that meal. And then I've had a number of meals where I remember the people. That the, the meal was shaped by that. You can think about some of our holiday meals, our Thanksgiving meals, and even the traditions that we set. Uh, oftentimes we have those kinds of meals that are the same people every year. And we come back to that and experience it. And there's some sense in which that's uh, part of the occasion here. Is this is a repeated meal. And as we look at this passage and hear the story, this, this accounting of the Lord's Supper, the Last Supper, the Last Supper before Jesus suffered and died. That's, that's happening the next day, and Jesus knows it. And, and as we hear this account, we're going to see three parts of the meal. There is the occasion, there is the food, and there is the people. And, uh, and those give us insight into what Jesus uh, wants both his disciples then and what he wants us, his disciples now, uh, to understand from the Lord's Supper, from this last meal. Let me pray, and we'll take a look. Lord, we... We pray that you would open our hearts and minds to the truth of your word, that we would be changed by your word and your table. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. The first thing that we see is the occasion. What, what is the occasion here for this meal? And, and there's a transition that Jesus is making from Passover to the Lord's Supper that we worship with every week, that we experience every week. But at this moment, they're gathering for the Passover. We see it in verse 1. Luke sets the stage that, uh, that this is, is happening, and it is a part of the Passover meal. Now, the Feast of Unleavened Bread drew near, which is called the Passover. And the original readers of Luke, and certainly these disciples, would have understood the incredible significance of the Passover meal. 
one that was celebrated by Israel, by the people of God, every year. And it was one that they did to remember God's salvation. And it was called the Passover because the people of God had been in slavery for 400 years. Uh, They had been in slavery for a very long time. And they were uh, mistreated and abused by the Pharaoh and the Egyptians. And God was saving them from slavery. Uh, This is central to the story of God's redemption and his work in the world. That he was gathering this people. He was actually creating a people in drawing them out of Egypt, out of slavery. And if you remember the story, the story is that uh, Pharaoh wouldn't let them go. Moses was God's, uh, was God's representative and going to Pharaoh and saying, let, let my people go, right? And he wouldn't do it. And so uh, through Moses, God was bringing plagues upon uh, the people of Israel. He was bringing judgment upon, uh, well, sometimes they were included, but on Egypt and the Pharaoh in, in order that, that Pharaoh would release the people of God, that, he would, uh, that they would be saved from slavery. And every time a plague came, uh, Pharaoh said, okay, and then he would change his mind. And so we get to the 10th plague. We get to this really significant, the most significant plague there is. And, and this is that, uh, that God said, here's what's going to happen. Uh, the angel of death is going to come through this evening, this night. And in the morning, the firstborn of every household is, is going to be dead. Uh, this is an incredible uh, thing that's going to happen. It's a heavy thing. But it is a recognition that things are so broken, that things are so messed up, that this judgment has to be poured out. And, and it's consistent with the fact that uh, the, both Egypt and the people of God actually deserve that judgment. This is the nature God has said from the beginning of our sin and rebellion against him. But he gives the people of God salvation. What, what does that mean? He, he offers them this opportunity to have the angel of death pass over their household. And the way that they do that is they will uh, slaughter their best lamb, their, their lamb without blemish, which was very valuable to them at that time. It doesn't mean a lot to us now, but this would have been a very valuable thing. They would slaughter uh, a, a lamb without blemish. They would sacrifice it. They would cook it, they would eat this meal, and they would also take the blood of the lamb and they would put it on their doorpost so that when the angel of death came by, he would pass over their house and they and their family would be saved. And one of the things that he does in the midst of telling them what's going to happen, in Exodus 12, we find the Passover hasn't happened and yet he is setting up the Passover meal that's going to happen every year. He's going, he says, this is something that you're going to do every year. You're doing this now for this original first salvation, but you're going to remember it every year so that when your children come to you and say, why are we doing this? That they're going to come and they're going to say, what do you mean by this service? Uh, that's how our kids would say it, right? Um, celebrate the Lord's Supper. Uh, what do you mean by this service? And there, he is saying, here's what you're going to say. You're going to say, God is saving you. And some of those children that would come to him would be alive because of that Passover, because of God's salvation for them. So he's saying, I'm going to save you. It hasn't happened yet. I'm going to save you. And then you're going to remember it every year from now on. And, uh, and it is this reminder, God set Israel aside. He created them as a people to to be with him, to be their 
to, for him to be their God and for them to be his, uh, his people, for him to be their God and them to be his people. Got it right that time. Uh, he is creating this people in relationship with them and providing for them. This is salvation. And, uh, and there is no more central moment in the history of God's people at that time than the Passover. And God's salvation, and he does, he delivers them. The Pharaoh lets them go, and even though he changes his mind, uh, God doesn't allow him to catch them. God provides them, right? And so this is God's way of providing for them. We, we can think of this repetition meal. We, we do things, uh, not only the Lord's Supper, we do it in normal life too. I mentioned Thanksgiving already, sometimes Christmas. Maybe you have a tradition for a birthday meal, and it's remembering a person or event or occasion or things to be thankful for. And, uh, and this is what God is doing. And it's a big deal, right? It's a big deal so that they're planning around this meal. They know this is a big deal. So we actually have multiple verses, verses 7 through 13, really, that are all about the preparation for this meal because it's a big deal. He's, he's giving them instructions. He's clearly in control. You're going to find a guy with a jar of water, and you're going to follow him, and you're going to say these things. He is constantly working things according to his purposes and plans. And, and he's making a big deal of the preparation of this. Now, uh, I've noted already that there's a sense in which the Lord's Supper has replaced the Passover, and we'll get to exactly why that's the case in a moment. But, but there is a challenge to us to think about what, is, what does preparation look like for us for uh, the Lord's Supper? I mean, there is, we do have folks who come and uh, and lay this out each, each week. And, and that is uh, something that has to happen and is important. And uh, if you want to serve in that way, we have space on the uh, setup team to, for folks to serve. But there's also a sense in which every one of us prepares for the Lord's Supper each week. We prepare for worship. We prepare our hearts. We think about what it looks like to come into worship and to experience this meal together. There's something significant happening here. And, and, you know, I would say we start thinking, what does is, what is our Saturday night look like and how does it affect Sunday morning? What does our morning look like and how does it affect worship? We, we prepare for this meal that has incredible significance. Um, it does matter and is worth planning for, worth thinking about. Uh, those, those meals that matter the most, you think about Thanksgiving uh, meals and the time that we put into prep for those, right? Because of their significance. Uh, I recently watched... A movie, uh, it's on, if you have Hulu, um, it's on that, and it's called Pig. And uh, it is Nicolas Cage. It's a good movie. Uh, I actually I recommend it. Uh, a lot of people will dismiss a movie because it has Nicolas Cage in it. And uh, yeah, it's a movie worth watching. And it's actually, you, you think it's going to start off with, uh, it's gonna, when it starts off, you think it's going to be like a revenge movie. Uh, his, his pig is stolen. His truffle pig is stolen. He's this man. He was this incredibly acclaimed chef in Portland. And his wife dies. And he spent 20 years or so in the woods by himself with this truffle pig uh, looking for truffles. And somebody comes and steals his pig. You think it's going to be this revenge movie, right? It's like John Wick uh, where his dog gets hurt and the rest of the movie is just crazy revenge, right? It's not that, though. There's some redemption in the story. And one of the ways that that happens is that uh, Nicolas Cage's character prepares this meal, this meal that is really important, has lots of significance uh, for somebody who has really wronged him. 
And it's this scene of him. He has like one relationship in the world at this point. And he sends this guy to all these different places to get wine and to get the right ingredients. And then it shows them preparing the meal and the steps that he takes as the chef who really knows what he's doing. Uh, and I find it, as somebody who enjoys eating um, and also uh, cooking, I, I find it remarkable to watch somebody who really knows what they're doing uh, in a kitchen. I have a lot uh, to learn. It's, but it's really fun to do that, right? And so you, you can see this happening. Uh, and you see and understand, as the story goes on, exactly why he was putting so much time uh, why he was preparing so much for this meal because of the significance that it represented for both him and the other people uh, that he was fixing the meal for. The question is, do, do, I think there's a challenge to me in thinking about, do, do I think about the significance of this meal? There's certainly a sense in which the fact that we celebrate the Lord's Supper every week could, could mean that it becomes just this rote thing that we don't think that much about. But it is, there is no more significant meal than this, the Lord's Supper. The occasion was not only the Passover, but in recognition that the Passover came in the midst of this incredible evil and darkness, slavery for multiple centuries. That was why the Passover needed to come. That was why the meal entered into this world. We get a picture of that here with the fact that right after we note, right after Luke notes in verse 1, that this is the Passover, he notes that there are those who want to kill Jesus. And then we go into the fact that Judas is going to betray him, that Satan enters into him. There's lots of questions that that we have when we read this. Uh, The fact is, what we do know, even as we have questions, is that there are spiritual forces at work in the world. There's nowhere in Scripture that says we, we put all the blame on those spiritual powers and not on ourselves. There is the mix in which they work in the world. And there is evil. There is brokenness. There is this betrayal of Jesus. There is no greater evil. And it is in the midst of that that there was the need, not only for the Passover, but for the Lord's Supper and what Jesus is instituting here. It comes not only in the midst of, but because of the evil that is existing in the world and in Jesus' life and in the life of the disciples. And the same is true for us. We come to the Lord's Supper in the midst of great brokenness. We celebrate this week. And we celebrated last week right after learning the fact that Gary Boring went to be with the Lord. The world is broken. There's an enemy called death. And we are reminded of that. And we come to the Lord's Supper with that reality, with lots of brokenness and evil all around us. And so into that, this meal comes. And the actual food, what is offered, the bread and the wine, is incredibly significant. Food itself has uh, implications, often represents, again, if you think about the things that uh, you are, are served at a Thanksgiving meal and what it has become to represent for, for you and your family if you have these kinds of traditions. I, I think of, you know, this idea of comfort food, and uh, it's different for everybody. I grew up in the South. I grew up in Memphis. I, I like Southern cooking. Uh, and I also have this memory of... Early on, when Steph and I were dating, we were, I was driving her to Nashville, Tennessee, on my way to Memphis. So we were leaving the Carolinas, and we were driving along I-40 through the mountains, and it began to snow. And it began to snow a good bit. 
and it became a problem for some because there was a wreck ahead of us and everything stopped. And I, I, I knew from camping and hiking in that area, I knew some of the back roads in that area. And there was, you know, there was no map on my phone, and, uh, which meant there wasn't a map on anybody else's phone either, so they couldn't just type it into Waze and find the alternate route. Uh, but I happened to know it, so we went around uh, the traffic, and we get back on the interstate, and there's no way. We're making fresh tracks through the snow. And uh, it, it was awesome. I loved it. Uh, and, and then not long after that, we stopped for lunch at Cracker Barrel. Uh, and this is one of my comfort food places, right? Uh, it's not only the Southern comfort food, but it's associated with that story, and there's a fireplace, and uh, it's cozy, right? It's comfort food for me, um, even if some people find it a little bit gross. Uh, I like it. Uh, it and it, it often represents something for me, right? Um, and we all have food that represents different things. Uh, here, Jesus is a little bit uh, more direct about what this food represents. It's not just something comforting. It, it is very, something very, very specific. Bread and wine. Jesus offers bread and wine and is very clear about what he means as he offers it. We see in verse 19, Jesus said, he took the bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and he gave it to them saying, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. He is saying his body is going to be broken. I, I don't think they fully understood what was going on at this moment. The, there was, most often, the disciples didn't understand what was happening. We're the disciples, by the way. We often miss what's going on. But they were not clearly understanding. But Jesus was pretty clear. This is my body. And then he gives the cup. And he says, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. This cup that is poured out, there's a picture of death, of sacrifice here. He knows what's coming. He's already said, as he longed to eat this meal with them, I tell you, uh, he says earnestly, as he desired to eat in verse 15, this Passover with you before I suffer. He knows what's coming. He knows his death is coming. He knows that his body is going to be broken and his blood is going to be poured out. He knows ultimately what that means is that he is the Passover lamb. He is that ultimate sacrifice. Uh, every year, the people of God would sacrifice a lamb. There were all kinds of sacrifices that the people of God would make uh, over the years. But Jesus comes and he says he is the ultimate sacrifice. He is the one that is paying the penalty for the brokenness and sin that exists in the world in us and, and all around us. And he is giving them this meal as a reminder of that truth. Here is what the food is, and here's why it matters. Do this in remembrance of me. He says, do this to remember. He's, he's giving this beautiful theological reality in a meal. You know, sometimes we, we just, we, some of us like theology, some of us don't. We, we all hold it. We, we all have some theology, whether it's fleshed out or not, but one of the ways that he gives theology to us is in a meal, is in eating bread and wine, not in a lecture, uh, not even in words, though he certainly does that. The word is incredibly important, but he gives us a meal to touch and to taste, to be reminded of his sacrifice for us, to be reminded of the forgiveness that is offered to us because of what Jesus did. 
And we do this remembrance. We, we, we recognize the significance of the bread and wine of his sacrifice for us uh, until he returns. Until he comes and makes all things right. He says that he is not going to eat or drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. What, what does he mean there? He knows that the next day he's going to die. And there's this picture of uh, he is not going to eat again until not only the resurrection, but until his return. There's a picture of him eating again in John chapter 21, where he eats breakfast with the disciples. But there's also a looking forward here to the marriage supper of the Lamb that Revelation 21 talks about. That when Jesus returns, when the new heavens come to, to the new earth, and all things are made right, and there's no more crying or death or pain anymore, there's this picture of a feast, of a marriage feast that we will eat and drink with Jesus in person, physically, in the flesh, in our resurrected bodies. And Jesus is saying, He's looking to that now. And we do this meal in remembrance of him until that happens. We're looking, we're waiting, we are longing. And we're hoping for what is to come. There is incredible encouragement and hope there that as we eat this meal, we're doing it until a time that will come. And we do believe that there's something as a result, there's something going on here. We find a little bit more of it in Paul's explanation in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. But Jesus is here spiritually present for those that receive the Lord's Supper. It is remembrance, but it's not just remembrance. That there is actually something happening in the Lord's Supper. That's why this is an incredibly theologically important meal. That he is at work. Paul does warn us to not take when we don't understand. That there is judgment that we eat and drink upon ourselves. And the clear implication is that there is actually something at work in the meal. And the opposite is true as well. That there is blessing and grace from Jesus for those that receive in faith. And so we're invited to come and experience that work. Experience his work in our lives. This meal uh, is a deep theological meal about his suffering and dying for you and for me. And the beauty is that it is for you and for me. The last thing that we see after the occasion and after the food is, is the company, is who's at the meal. And, and we, we probably all have meals that we remember because of who was there. Two years ago now, in February, Stephanie and I went to North Carolina to the funeral of a friend of ours from college. Uh, and it was uh, a time to remember and to celebrate him. Uh, and it was also a time to connect. As we connected, uh, we knew he and his wife uh, in college. And, uh, and there were many friends that gathered. We'd all been a part of some different schools and we had been uh, involved with the same college ministry together. And there was this meal afterwards with Travis's wife and with uh, about 20 to 25 of us that gathered uh, around Again, I don't remember what the food was, but I remember the people there and reflecting about uh, God's work in all of our lives and people uh, from California to the uh, East Coast walking with Jesus and celebrating what he had done, lamenting the loss of our friend. Uh, but that meal was significant because of the people that were there and the, the, the relationships that we had with one another and had had for over the, over the years. And it was we all talked about 
the sadness of, uh, of missing Travis, but the, the rejoicing and being together and reminded of God's work in our lives. And we wanted to be there with one another. We find here this picture of Jesus wanting to be with the disciples. Here again what he says in verse 15. I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. That might not be how we would say it, but uh, what he's saying here, uh, what we could picture him saying is, I can't wait to eat with you, to have this meal with you. This is what I've been longing to do, to share this meal with you, this significant meal. I want to have this meal with you. And we're reminded again of who he's talking to here, who the disciples are. These, these are not guys that they've had it all together. They've, they've got it figured out. These are guys who are a mess. I mean, Matthew's a tax collector, and we've talked uh, over the last months of what tax collectors did. They, they, were, they were not good people, right? And you think, well, they, you know, they've gotten things together now. Peter is here, and in just a moment, uh, Pete, Peter's going to be told by Jesus that he's going to deny him. He's going to deny him in front of a, a, a young girl because uh, he is scared, right? And then that's not the end for Peter in his mess, right? Uh, I mean, Peter gets these amazing visions from the Lord in Acts 10 about uh, sharing in the fellowship of the Lord with all kinds of people. And then later he divides uh, with those who are different from him so that he has to be called out by Paul in Galatians 3. I mean, this is a messy group, right? They did not get to eat this meal with Jesus. Jesus did not long to share this meal with them because they had it all together. They absolutely did not. And yet what Jesus is saying is, I want to share this meal with you. And because he is instituting this supper, this this thing to replace the Passover meal, because he is now the Passover lamb himself, he is saying that this is something I want to experience with you and all the disciples that come after you. He's saying to us, I want to share this meal with you. Each and every Sunday when we're invited to the table, there's a, there is this invitation from Jesus saying, I want to share a meal with you. This is the Lord who loves us deeply, who wants to take our burdens and cares upon him, who knows our mess, who knows not only the evil around us that we experience, but the, the brokenness and evil and rebellion in our own hearts. He knows it all. And he invites us in. He offers forgiveness and he invites us to share a meal with him. And at the same time, to share it with one another. The, the beautiful thing is this, this communal family meal that he's experiencing with the disciples. And uh, it, it's beautiful to, to actually picture what it might have been like in that meal as these guys are hanging out together, right? Well, we're invited to share with one another. It's not just a, a meal with me and Jesus. It's a meal with God's people, with the body of Christ, the, the ways in which we are Jesus to one another. And so in just a moment, we're going to share this family meal together, this deeply theological meal that Jesus wants us to experience with one another and with him. And when we do this, we experience his grace because we remember what he has accomplished for us. Let me pray.